Thanks for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome again to the Kiwi Foodcast. Today on the show, we have Alistair Baxter of The Food Bowl. The Food Bowl has on many occasions been described to me as the Willy Wonka factory for food businesses. Part of the Food Innovation Network, the Food Bowl is an open access facility where companies can do R&D trials and pilot commercial runs of their new products for domestic as well as export markets. Today, we chat to Alistair and find out more about the Food Bowl and the work they do and the impact that they've made since they started. So without further ado, let's begin. Hi, Alistair. How are you? Hi there, person. Good. Very good. Thanks. Thanks Uh, for having me. Great. Thanks for coming. So let's start um, at the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about your background and what was it like growing up? Do you have any favorite food memories that you can share with us? I have quite a lot of food memories. Um, I think because all my family are really into food. So um, I grew up in the UK and my dad worked for Bird's Eye Foods, which is a big frozen food company. Oh, yes, of course. So we ate a lot of frozen food growing up. We had a lot of freezers dogged around the house. <laughs> a um, lot of freezers. How many freezers is that? <laughs> I think three or four what? chest that, freezers. That and I remember the um, childhood memories of going out into the fields when it was the pea harvest with my dad, and he had a walkie-talkie on it in his car, which was pretty cool. And then um, we'd, we'd get a lot of peas and, and remember that we had a bit of a production line with blanching the peas before freezing them at home even. Oh, okay. Um, and we ate a lot of frozen food and a lot of fish mm. as well. Um, so that was that part of it. But also um, my mum is Austrian and she did a lot of cooking all the time. She was always in the kitchen and I, I think I learned a lot from her. Okay. Um, when she got to England in the 1950s, you couldn't even buy garlic or capsicums. It was quite exotic, you know, that type of food in those days. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and she was doing that sort of Austrian-style cooking. Um, and I think when she married my dad, she said that she cooked him a different meal every day for the first year. Wow. Yeah. So that's setting a so, high setting a high yeah. standard for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, and I think I learned a lot from her when it came to cooking as well. Um, she was very good at using leftovers, and she'd start everything with onions and garlic, and um, and she'd always have a big pot of soup on the on the stove as well. So that's my trick. I start everything with onions and garlic before I even know yeah. what I'm doing. I'll just like chop up a couple of onions. Because onions go in like practically every Indian food. Yeah, yeah. So that, I think I've brought a bit of that with me. Yeah. Okay. So, with, with, like, your backgrounds in food technology, am I correct? That's right. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about how you. Um, when did you move to New Zealand, and how did you find your way to the food bowl? Yeah, well, I did a biology degree, and I finished that when I was 20, and really, at that, that age, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, and my dad had, unfortunately, unfortunately, had been transferred to a place called Grimsby in the northeast of England. Okay. Um, Never even heard of that sounds, place. <laughs> sounds grim, and it is. Um, a little um, food processing, and, and it used to be a fishing um, town as well, before all the fish got overfished and, and disappeared, but there's still a, a lot of food processing there, and there was a little... Um, there was a college that became a university and they had a one-year food technology course there so I ended up doing that and working night shifts in the in the factory as well and 
Um, then they asked me to stay on to a PhD, okay. which I did. I quite enjoyed being a student in Grimsby, actually. Um, and um, I then got a job with a, f uh, a food ingredients company in the UK and decided I want to travel. Um, so I ended up coming out to New Zealand on a three-month contract and worked for a, a couple of other food ingredients companies um, for quite a long time with one in particular, a multinational ingredients company in technical sales and then business development, doing lots of food innovation, working with our customers. And then I came across the food bowl and uh, met with Alex, our CEO, and really liked Alex, she's amazing, and um, liked the concept of the food bowl and thought that I had a lot of transferable skills through my food technology and business development to take up a role there. And um, yeah, it's a very, very exciting place, busy place. Cool, so um, for our listeners, can you tell us then like what exactly is the food bowl? Yeah, well, I think you summed it up quite well. It's a, a food innovation hub, basically, and um, clients can um, use us to de-risk um, their food innovation. So they, we have, uh, we offer advice, we offer connections. Um, if we can't help, we'll know someone who can help. Um, but most of all, we've got the facilities, um, basically four factory units joined together. Um, with um, two to three hundred pieces of equipment in there um, that can be configured to the customer's needs. So we can help them get from um, concept stage to um, sort of pilot scale uh, production and, and even commercial production as well. So we work with a real mixture of companies big and small. It's fairly even split between startups big companies and the SMEs. Mm. Um, I think there's a misconception out there that we're just for startups, mm. but we're not. The big companies use us as well, and very busy environment, um, lots of things all going on at once, lots of different smells. You'll go in one room, there's people chopping things up, and then there's a you know separation going on somewhere, fermentation, all kinds of food processes, and um, these machines... Um, dotted about and have been configured to the way the customer wants it mm. so uh, and then our engineers helping the customers with the with the work that they're doing and that could be R&D work or just trying to do small-scale commercial stuff as well. So would you help the businesses kind of figure out because I'm just thinking if you're a startup like some of the things you're talking about like separation yeah. and um, I don't know what is the other one Excrusion? What's that? Is that Ex the one? Extrusion. Extrusion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's just so many like <laughs> new words um, that yeah. you come about, and that's very different from like, oh, I'll just knock up like a, you know, like a little thing in, yeah. on my kitchen at home. Um, there's a big difference between cooking and food technology, and I think um, one of the first things that we do with startups is find out whether they have a food technologist on their team. Hmm. Um, many of them do. Um, because they might have a food background. But if they don't, then we marry them up with a, uh, a food technologist um, consultant that can help them. Because of all those things that food techs do, mm. um, people possibly don't realize it, but you know, the nutritionals, the, the labeling, mm. designing the recipe, getting a recipe from kitchen recipe, grandma's recipe to a commercial recipe is, is what a food, food tech does and um, helping the customer with the process. So we're able to offer a, um, some help and advice there, but we can't get into the detail that um, the contract food technologists can do if they're working with a customer. Okay. Um, so there's a, there's a whole heap of stuff that, um, that happens um, through that process of the initial engagement with myself 
and then us connecting them with the people that can help them. Okay. And one of those key people is a, is a contract food technologist. It does depend on the project. Sometimes we can refer them to one of our other hubs who can do some of that bench scale. We're very much linked in with Massey University in Palmerston North. Mm. So they've got a whole heap of um, experts down there that can help with recipe development, process development. Um, they've even got a, a taste panel of dogs and cats mm. if it's a pet food. Okay. A colony of dogs down there that will tell you if your pet food is any good or not. Um, and they've got the professors and the and the equipment down there as well. So um, very much um, it's horses for courses. Um, we get these inquiries and we try and decide how best to, to help the client. And, of course, we're funded by government, so we're not for profit. Okay. Um, if there's a, a place that they can go um, which is outside our network, then we'll just advise them on the best place for them to go because we're not there to, to make money out of these customers. We're there to help them. So if they just want to put something into a bag or do a blend and, and fill it, um, you know, we could we could help them with that or they could go to a company like Phil Pack or one of those places in Auckland and just get it done there. Okay. And quite often we're a bridge between a um, kitchen recipe and a contract manufacturer or a customer internalising it into their own factory. Okay. So let's take a step back. I mean, um, who came up with the idea of the food bowl? Like kind of, how did it come to exist? It was actually a guy called Professor Ray Winger, hmm. and he um, he recognised there was no obvious place for people to go when they were innovating in food, and he put together some very bold plans and suggestions on how this could be solved, and, and um, the government um, got right behind it, and I think partly because half our economy is food and beverage. Hmm. If you, you lump in dairy with that, it's, it's the biggest part of our economy. And the government um, recognised that we're quite isolated from the rest of the world, so mm. it's easy for us to um, be disconnected from new technologies and innovations that are going on mm. and felt that um, an open access facility like ours would be worth um, getting behind. So um, that was, I think, uh, 2009, 2011 is when we started. Mm. And that was the Helen Clark government, I think, was initially behind it, and then successive governments have supported as well. And we're currently funded through Callaghan Innovation, which is the government's innovation wing, if you like. Yep. And they do a lot of work in food. They've got, um, they're there to help uh, businesses innovate, whether it's food or other technologies. And um, about half of their work is in food and agri. And okay. they've got a whole team of scientists that can help with projects as well. So many of our most exciting projects come through Callaghan through some of their connections and, and um, we're doing a lot of work in conjunction with them. Okay. Yeah. And if I'm right, ATED is involved as well? Yes. Um, ATED are now called Auckland Unlimited. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and they were initial funders of the Food Bowl, but um, a couple of years ago, um, Callaghan basically took over 100% of the government funding. Right. So okay. um, I think with AT, they're very much focused on the smaller businesses and, and helping uh, startups, with it, whereas Callaghan, a bit more emphasis on um, really helping those companies that are innovating and doing some more cutting-edge things. All right. um, so I think for our mandate really is to, because we're government-funded and the taxpayer is paying for this thing, we want to get as much return for the taxpayer as possible so we want to be supporting companies that are going to be going places they have an ambition to grow mm. um, you know if we help them they will succeed mm. and um, 
whilst whilst we will um, try to help anyone that approaches us, we have a real focus on on the ones that are going to be going places if we give them the help that they need. So, right. and that that's most efficient in terms of taxpayer dollars, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> so, obviously, on the show before you've come, we've had people from like the Kitchen Project, and I've been through the Kitchen Project myself, and that's more like an incubator and a place to get your ideas going. Yeah. Well, um, uh-huh. I feel at least from a first sense that what you guys do at the Food Bowl seems much larger and you know like you said it's more technically focused um, so I guess even when you say startups at what point would they approach you would they approach you when they've maybe done like a few farmers markets mm. and are kind of like wanting to now get into supermarkets because obviously I'm assuming that while it's uh, like an NG- like obviously your government funded the help's not cheap right like I mean and it just feels like <laughs> like I'm just adding up like oh okay if I had like a food technology consultant and this mm. and that that it does add up so when is the kind of right time to come come to you guys yeah well I think people have got to understand if they go into business it's going to cost them a lot of money yeah you know and I think there's a certain amount of reality checking that needs to come into this um, you, you're going to be working very long hours you're going to be putting a, a couple of hundred grand into a startup yep. over a few years probably mm. so um, that's important to understand um, and if you're going to do it you better it's best to do it right you know if a company tries to avoid using a contract food technologist well they're probably not going to succeed because mm. it'll take them hundred times longer to do the stuff that they could have done if they'd paid this person a hundred dollars an hour to do it for them yeah um, so yeah there is a bit of cost involved obviously in any startup business but I think New Zealand is a very easy place to start a business mm. and there's an incredible amount of support for startups you yeah know, through AT or yep. Auckland Un- Unlimited um, there's lots of grants for startup businesses and they can some of those can get, get used at the food bowl okay um, there's a getting started grant which is Callahan grant administered by um, Auckland Council um, you can use that to get funding for your um, your R&D work uh, and then there's a whole host of people that can help. I think the Kitchen Project is very much focused on the community and, and mm. helping um, smaller businesses at that commercial kitchen scale. Yep. And giving them the, those um, business skills that they need and that, that basic knowledge of uh, you know, food regulations and that type of thing, which is really important for people at, at that stage of their business development, I think. Yeah. 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 You guys are kind of like the next step up, like, right? So now yeah. like now you have a business. Now you know what regulations you need to follow, etc. You've discovered that there's this yeah. whole world of stuff that you need to be doing. Yeah. Um, and then if you're really serious, then, um, then they yeah. come to you and you guys can help give the leg up. Yeah. And our model doesn't work for everyone. I mean, the particular type of food, for example, um, some foods are not that easy to, to scale up and make into a retail product, or to, um, because you know they, they have to have a certain amount of shelf life for that. Mm. So if you you've got a food truck business and your food is great when it's eaten fresh and, and it's made in front of people, doesn't necessarily translate into something that is easily scaled up and, and becomes a, a supermarket food or a, mm. a food service food. Um, yeah. It really depends. Okay. Um, And, you know, so you were talking about Callahan Innovation and I was reading um, your annual report where it says you've worked with businesses like Sanford and Arepa. And for me, I feel like a lot of their product is centered around innovation. But do you also work with kind of like your standard run-of-the-mill food businesses who are just kind of, I don't know, maybe making like a Thai curry paste or doing that kind of stuff? Like how innovative 
do they need to be? <laughs> well, I think if they're looking to grow their business mm. and they've got something which um, looks like, you know, if we help them, then the, there'll be a bit of economic growth mm. out of it, then we will help them. Okay. Um, to a certain extent, though, we do have to pick winners. Yep. You know, um, if it's just a Me Too product and the company maybe is not ambitious and just wants a bit of a lifestyle, mm. they just want to go to the Cleveland market every weekend and mm. that's all they want. Um, there's not a lot of point at us having our team of engineers helping that type of business because, right. you know, it's very expensive, mm. you know, for us to help people in terms of taxpayers and, yep. and the, the money going into the food bowl. And although the companies do pay a certain amount of it, it's very heavily subsidised. So mm. we do want to be helping the companies that if we help them, they'll go places and not just doing it for the lifestyle. And the, Fair enough. You know, um, I had a, a, a fruit juice company who got in touch and and they wanted to extend the shelf life of their fruit juices and I spoke to them for at length and then I asked them, you know, what their plans were for the next few years and they said, oh, well, we don't want to get any bigger, you know, there's just two of us doing this and it's just a lifestyle thing and it's like, hmm. Yeah. Well, there's not much point in us helping them, <laughs> really. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But could you share some stories of maybe some of the smaller businesses that you have helped? Like I was reading yeah. about Citizen Beer? Citizen? Citizen, yeah. They're, yeah. they're really interesting um, people. Yeah, yeah. They're, um, they've done um, a very clever thing with... Um, with beer and and bread, basically, where they're using the the spent grain from brewing process and then putting that into bread, and then they're making bread with it, which tastes amazing. Then they're using bread to make beer, so they've got the circular economy. Oh, that's model interesting. Happening. Yeah, yeah, and it's very um, very neat, um, neat model and and great marketing, and actually, and the products taste really really good as well. Yeah. So that's that's an example, and that's a startup business, and they've they've used us because we had the right equipment. And we are able to offer them connections as well. We've we've um, helped them go to the next place for them to do their processing mm. um, and find somewhere to do the drying that's needed. So um, that was an exciting one. Um, we did the Pure Food Company, which um, they were basically they were just two um, finance guys, and one of them, his grandfather, had been in hospital and and is having problems swallowing food. And he noticed that the food that the uh, the older people in hospital were being given wasn't great. And Pretty crappy. I think the food given in hospital to anyone's not great, <laughs> frankly. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Because I was in hospital for a, a couple of weeks, I didn't notice that, being a foodie. But, um, yeah, I would have liked to have some of the pure food stuff, even though it's pureed, but it would have been better. Yeah. So they, they invented this... Um, a range of foods that are basically pureed food, which are very nutritious and mm. could be fed to um, people that have difficulty swallowing. And it's they've identified a niche and they're now exporting. They've got their brand new factory, which is a huge factory out in um, uh, South Auckland in Mangere, and doing really, really well, expanding very, very fast, supplying all the rest homes and hospitals around the country, and now supplying it to Australia. And when they started with us, they were they were just doing like a, a day's production every few weeks, and then it got to the point where they were with us every day. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> it grew so fast, mm. and um, it's quite a relief when they graduated from us for our engineers because <laughs> they've all been run ragged. And mm. um, so that was a good success. We had Cully started with us with his hot sauces okay. um, before my time, but he started with us and one of one of the first successes. Yeah. 
that was that's one. one of your I mean Cully's is like a kind of you know the iconic I mean it's now become the iconic kind of like New Zealand hot sauce yeah and he's gone into all sorts of different brands as well and you know, when you, when you um, try to decide which of these products are going to be successful or not, you wouldn't pick a New Zealand hot sauce because I can go to my Chinese supermarket and get one for three dollars. But yep. you know, and his, but he's he did an amazing job of, of marketing his product, and it's you know it's obviously um, a unique product in its own way, and he's done very very well. Mm. Um, so he was one. Um, the Apple Press started with us. They have. Um, basically an orchardist um, who wanted to get into to f- added value for his apples so um, and they've now got a very very big factory down in Hawke's Bay but they started off using us for their trials very focused on the Asian market and um, China in particular and doing something um, quite unique with with apple juice in terms of just you know the the named fruit and the, the provenance around it mm. so they started with us um, uh, you know there's a company doing bee venom honey um, from Northland um, yeah, there's a very interesting company to work with lots of plant based companies yep. over the last couple of years mm. um, I'd say like every other inquiry I get is for some sort of plant based product mm. and um, that's something the government is really um, is trying to get behind as well in terms of you know what is the best um, outcome for New Zealand when it comes to plant based given that we're you know, we're so heavily invested in 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 meat and dairy. Yeah. So and how can you kind of like diversify that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and of course, plant based is better for the environment, yeah. and it's the way the market seems to be going globally. So, does New Zealand? How does New Zealand participate in that and still, um, you know, have its 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 dairy and meat as as, as well? So we we get a lot of plant based companies, and um, a, a lot of those are doing milk-based, um, plant-based um, drinks, or um, they might be doing plant-based meats as well. So okay. we've had several plant-based companies over the last few weeks just um, wanting to get started with us and looking to build their own facilities as well. Okay. So that's quite exciting. So we really want to get behind that. So you guys have, you know, like these, like you mentioned, the 300 pieces of equipment and that can be configured in different ways. But why would you then not do the kind of contract manufacturing side of things? Like, I mean, like what is what is the next step like for most of the people that graduate? Is it because you'd rather they have their own factory? Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're acting as that bridge between them doing it at a smaller scale and going to a contract manufacturer or their own facility. Hmm. Because contract manufacturers like to do the same products over and over again and make money out of it. Yep. And they'll make money if they can just churn out the you know 5,000 litre batches of the same type of bottle. Hmm. Um, we're much more, um, we have to configure the room for the client the day before the client comes in and then dismantle it the next day. Hmm. So we're never going to be as efficient as a contract manufacturer and we don't want to be because for us it's all about helping them innovate and, and just get started. Hmm. Once they get to a certain scale, like often, um, for example, there's a, a drinks contract manufacturer called Pure Bottling. I think they have a 5,000 litre minimum run. Okay. So companies can start with that, with us, get to the point where they've de-risked, they know their product's successful, they've learned about their product, they've learned about food technology, they've learned from our engineers, mm. and then they feel comfortable about 
um, they, they may have got some sales, they may have got contract for supermarkets, and they, they can reach those minimum batch requirements um, at the bottling company. Yep. And, and, and then they're kind of set free in some ways that they're not making the product themselves or they can really concentrate on the business aspects of their business, like the, you know, the marketing and, and, and the products being made for them. And it's probably a bit cheaper as well to get it made by a contract manufacturer because... Yeah. You know, it's it's like thirty cents a bottle or whatever it is. Whereas with us, we're charging by the day, and they have to provide provide their yeah. own labour and make it themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's valuable to. Um, I mean, you know, like I mean, yes, of course, you get to use this great equipment. But then, when you've made it by yourself, I think you've learned about that process or yeah. what that particular machine does. Or yeah. when a contract manufacturer tells you that, okay, we can make in one day X amount of bottles, at least you know your yeah, stuff. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. otherwise, and I feel like yeah, the food safety aspects as well, mm. very very important part of it. And I think our customers learn about that the startup companies as well. Yeah. And of course, the bigger companies, it's de-risking and investment. Um, we had a big meat company. They bought a small startup company that's making bone broths, okay. and they wanted to scale it up um, for the export markets for, for China and for um, other Asian markets. And they bought the company, then they um, came to us, used our equipment to, to work out how best to make this product more efficiently. Mm. The, the little startup company they bought was was boiling up bones for 24 hours and, and doing sort of 12 litre batches. Mm. Um, this big meat company wanted to do as big batches as they possibly could and make the product as quickly as possible yep. using the um, some of the the bones that they could get cheaply, you know, for only a, a few cents a kilo, mm. whereas the startup company was buying them for several dollars a kilo, yep. the bones. And um, so that was a great example of an export ad- added value product yep. um, that we were able to help with. And now the company has set up their own equipment in their own factory, and they're exporting um, that product to to um, Asia. Cool. So that's where we've we've put in a lot of effort to to help those people because we know they're going to give a good bang for our buck. Yeah. And, um, and that's exactly the type of um, success that we want. When Megan Woods or one of the um, ministers come around to see us you know those are the types of successes that we're showing them because they want to see that they've put money into the food bowl and they're getting some successes out of it in terms of exports and added mm. value mm. exciting added value innovative products right um and so you spoke about exports so for those businesses looking to export what is like the benefit of like working with your team as compared to kind of going it alone yeah, well, some of them just use us because of our accreditations. So we've got an RMP, mm. a risk management program, which covers us to ex- um, customers can use our RMP at the food bowl mm. to make their products for export to right. certain countries. Mm. So we had a, a, a branded dairy company um, doing butter for the US. Mm. They were able to come in and make and pack the butter um, at the food bowl mm. under our RMP. They were able to export the product to the US and and get acceptance by the supermarkets over there prior to them sort of making the big investments themselves to do it themselves. So um, that's a big advantage um, that sometimes we kind of forget about because you know we um, we do offer that as a as a as a big benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes the customer will just bring their own equipment in and use our RMP. Um, and our facility, we're using their own equipment. Right. 
you know, so um, that's just one of the benefits, I suppose. Okay. Um, and do you have any other stories of maybe like other bigger organisations that have um, used you? Obviously, you spoke about the Bond Brothers company and them using you because they what kind of wanted to figure out what was the best process. Um, what are some of the other instances where the bigger organisations have used you guys? Yeah, well, there's a lot of work on extractions at the moment. Mm. Um, so muscle extracts, mm. we're doing quite a bit of work on that. Um, and that's when the company might not have that particular type of equipment. But through Callahan Innovation, we have a, this thing called a Super X, supercritical CO2 extractor. So you, you basically get CO2, you turn it into a liquid, push it through the product, it, it sucks out all the, the goodness that you want to get, and you turn the CO2 back into a gas, and you get left with this compound that you've extracted, which is you know free of any contaminants and, and um, very, very valuable. So um, that type of technology is used for hop extracts, it's used um, for marine um, extracts, uh, extracts from algae, mm. and some of those extracts that you, you produce using that technology are sold for $10,000 a litre, you know. Right. So you're very much um, turning something into a very high added value premium um, food or nutraceutical. Mm. Um, so that's quite a good example. Um, yeah, we've had a, a honey company that's gone into drinks. You know, they've taken their brand of honey and wanted to do beverages. So obviously they didn't have beverage equipment, but they could come and use us to get into, jump into a new category or to a new channel, if you like. Okay. Um, we had a over lockdown there were companies that were in hospitality but that suddenly they had no business and they wanted to get into retail and that meant having to put their products into a different format hmm. or a different process so um, they used us for uh, just you know maybe putting fish into a, a retail packaging format rather than just um, a bulk format that went to cafes and restaurants okay um, we've got cool. so many examples. Yeah. So tell me, um, you know, I had um, on the show Angus Brown of Arepa, who yeah. was also used to work at the Food Bowl. He did, yeah. And he's now obviously gone off to have his own thing. Are you um, just, I'm just thinking, like, you're working with all these cool food companies. Do you ever feel like he's you should just, like, cool go guy, start your own? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Angus is an amazing guy, and he's, what he has done is, is very cleverly taken something which is quite unique in New Zealand. Our black currants have mm. the um, uh, have some of the most bioactive compounds in them of all black currants in the world. Mm. Um, so, and that's partly because of the sunlight that we have in New Zealand. So, the particular variety of black currant he's using is very, very active in these um, compounds that are involved in in various health benefits such as brain health. Yep. And he's combined that with the, the pine bark extract, which is. Um, also has some effects on on brain health as well, yeah. and done this clinical trial. So he's he's come up with something which is very, very unique and yeah. getting awards. You know, he, he won an award in in from a uh, an Asian food big food show um, recently, and we love it when people are taking New Zealand provenance like that and finding ways to add value. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day. Um, we're competing on a global stage with things. It's no, there's no point New Zealand making Me Too products. Yep. Um, we're much better off um, doing something that, that that's quite unique, and we have a competitive advantage in. You know, we're doing a lot of work on kiwi fruit. We've done quite a bit of work on on various seafoods from New Zealand. Um, you know, collagen. From, um, 
all kinds of stuff. Cool. <laughs> well, this all sounds very inspirational, and um, I just want to like kind of start working at the food board. <laughs> just sounds like you guys are doing such cool stuff. All right. It is so, an exciting place to work. We know, um, no day is the same. Different yeah. smell each day. <laughs> <laughs> so just to wrap up, I'm going to move on to our favorite section of the fo- uh, show, which is called Fast Food Five, where I ask you five fast questions about food. Oh, so yeah. are you ready? Uh, yeah, I'm still in holiday mode. I don't know how fast I'll be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So favorite machine amongst all of the ones at the food bowl? Like, favorite machine? Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't know if that's like the right question, but you know. I like, like a, a high pressure processing machine, which is able to make um, raw foods, but um, extend the shelf life of raw foods by, by applying pressure to the food. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. a bit of a favorite. Yeah. All right. I didn't even know you could do that. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and if you had like a dream food product that you could make, what would it be? Oh. Not giving away any trade secrets. <laughs> or maybe something that you'd like to see on the market, you know, considering all the cool people you work with. Well, I've got lots of ideas. I don't know if I want to share them, though. Oh, fair but, enough. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, I love... Um, I actually like ethnic foods, and I, mm. you know, because being from the UK, I love my curries. So yeah, that's the sort of stuff I cook at home. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I've often thought of of things that could be done, mm. but I don't know if I want to get into them today. <laughs> Fair enough, no worries. Because I've got to be um, just sit on the fence a bit, and it's my my job to help people mm. um, that come to us. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, all right. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Your favorite meal of the day? Uh, well, I make my own muesli. Um, so I do like my own muesli, but um, I do a lot of cooking at home. Okay. Um, I get home from uh, and and I usually sort of finish off the cooking process. You were one um, of the very rare Kiwis I've met who um, told me just, oh, yeah, I'm just whipping up a dansak today. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't come across many Kiwis who know what the dansak is. Yeah, because you mentioned dansak to me and, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm from England, so, you know, there was, there was always that... You'd go to the pub, and then you, after the pub, you'd either go to a nightclub club or you'd go to an Indian restaurant to <laughs> have another couple more drinks and, mm. and you know, have a great great food as well and on the Indian restaurant menu there'd always be sort of 20 standard curries wouldn't there and yep. butter chicken was never one of them by the way but there was always number 17 would be dansak and occasionally I'd have it and it's it's really nice and it's yeah. uh, lentils mixed with um, you know meat usually lamb isn't it yep. and chicken sometimes yeah but so we used to make it home and yeah and so kind of hearty and I just not I just it's for me it's like home yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so my at home my specialty is is using leftovers converting them into something really tasty and I yeah. think I learned that from my mum mm. and also like um, big pots of stuff on the stove and um, cheap and cheerful slow cooked stuff is what I really like doing tasty ethnic style cool mm. um, so favourite curry to cook apart from Dansac yeah apart from Dansac <laughs> uh, I I like all curries, really. Okay. Yeah, but you don't uh, discriminate. That's good. <laughs> no, I, I've got my little curry paste, which I like them because they, they taste very fresh mm. and they've got the aromatics that come from using curry pastes. Yeah, and I've got my whole spices, but and I make biryani quite a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, and then korma and you know all the usual stuff, tikka nice. masala. Cool. Um, chicken tikka, I used to make that quite a lot, and um, I used to take it to barbecues and just people tell, oh, "What's the recipe?" And I go, "Well." 
get some chicken and you get this tikka paste from the supermarket and then you add it to the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, final question. The one piece of advice you'd give to like a food and beverage entrepreneur? I think um, one piece of advice is to be realistic mm. and um, think about who your customers are first. Mm. Um, do do your market research to find out whether your product is is actually going to be successful. If there's a um, a place in the market for your product, a lot of people make the mistake of of just making it and then trying to sell it. Mm. Whereas the the way you should do it is 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 really trying to identify a need in the marketplace first and then develop your product to meet that need. Mm. So it's about getting that the right way around. Um, I think it's being realistic about uh, your expectations. You know, it is going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to have to to put a lot of time and effort into it. You know, it's probably you're going to have a very, very busy life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of stress. And, and the food industry is a fast-moving um, um, business where you're, you're dealing with all sorts of fast-moving moving stuff all the time. You're juggling lots of balls. If you like that type of um, business and that type of environment, then go for it. If you don't, then you're probably not in the right business. You know, yep. if you'd like to take things at your own pace, you know, it's probably not not the right type of business for you because yeah. in food you just get hit with all sorts of things. You know, shelf life. You know, things. You know, people ringing up, things going wrong, fixing problems. Yeah. You know, I, I love that you said that because I just had this conversation. Um, so I've started my curry paste business myself just on the side. Yeah. And um, you are use I, we just got <laughs> um, <laughs> my husband was like, right, just outline like the seven expenses that we must do within the next six months. And I'm like, I have no idea what expenses are going to come out because yeah. every time I learn something, I'm like, oh, now it's like all this stuff that we need to do and all this stuff what we need to yeah. do. And it's just like you said, it's very fast moving and there's a a lot to learn and I mean it's very rewarding as well mm. but I think, um, um, yeah reach out and get get the help because mm. the help is out there yeah and I think sometimes it's not obvious where the help is but just talk to don't be afraid to ask yeah um, you know who are the right people that can help you at various stages because the help is there it's incredible the amount of help that food businesses get in this country really yeah. and sometimes it's a matter of navigating through the system yeah a lot of what I do is helping helping people navigate through mm. the system there's universities there's crown research institutes there's funding available all sorts of funding available um, if you're doing cool stuff and um, the help is there it's just a matter of finding it so talk to the right people and, and don't be afraid to ask you know, where, where you can go for help all right. Well, thank you so much, um, Alistair, for coming on the show and telling us what football is all about. And um, It's not yeah. really Willy Wonka. It's more sort of Willy Wonka cross with Breaking Bad, I think. Oh, yes. To... <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming here. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.